Today's show is brought to you by the Night and Runs Training Group on Patreon. If you'd like to download great training plans and get support for your own running within my community, just go to patreon.com slash nightandruns. Now, let's get to the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Night and Runs podcast. This is Coach Chris, and I'm happy to be joined today by my friend and fellow running coach, Sarah Manderscheid, the owner of Elevate Your Running, which is a coaching business located in Colorado. This is part of a conversation series that I'm having with a number of other running coaches on different topics relevant to our profession in coaching that I think are going to be really interesting to the audience. Today, we're actually going to be talking about run coaching dogmas, some of these things that you hear all the time when it comes to what's the right way to train. And we're going to examine these concepts a little bit, see if we fully agree to them, if it's something you should be doing 100% of the time, or if it really depends, you know, maybe some of these things, they're, they're good ideas in theory, but it's not a dogma. It's not something that you want to be applying 100% of the time to your training, or maybe we just flat out agree with it. Maybe we think it's a misunderstanding that's commonly presented in run training. I think this is going to be a really interesting conversation. You'll get to see how both me and Sarah think about these different topics when it comes to explaining the theory of how to run and how to train to our athletes. And hopefully we'll highlight a little bit of the differences between our unique coaching styles. So that's going to be the episode for today. Thanks for tuning in and Sarah, welcome to the show. Hi, Chris. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm really excited for this conversation. Thanks for coming on. I brought you on as the coach to join me in this conversation because you also have your own running business in Colorado and not only coach online athletes throughout the country, but you also work with athletes in person as well, right? I do. Yes. I have a team in Denver that I meet with on Wednesday nights. They're all training for a half or a full marathon at this point. Um, leading up to the Indy Marathon on Saturday, November 5th. They're not all running it, but most of them are, and it's a lot of fun. And then I also coach virtually athletes all over the country from the 5K to the ultra distance. So a really wide range of athletes, but it's a lot of fun. That's always one of the rules. There's not many rules in my coaching with athletes, but one of the rules is to have fun and we have a lot of fun. So in your experiences, you've probably come across these sayings, right? Or things that you tell your athletes time and time again, that they should be doing in your training. I think probably we would both agree. The most common thing we want to tell our athletes is slow down, right? You hear that one all the time. There's this whole phrase, take your easy days, easy and your hard days hard. I think that's probably one of the strongest dogmas that's current in kind of the, the popular way of training these days. And I'd agree. I think that probably 90% of the athletes I come to the very first lesson I teach them is slow down. It's kind of controversial, but there's, there's many more. And I'm, I'd love to get into these. You actually put together a list of a couple of different ideas that you wanted to chat about during our conversation. And the first one plays into this. You shared with me this concept of running all runs hard will earn you PRs. 
What do you think of that idea? Yeah, I think um, anytime I see a new athlete getting into into running, and I definitely fall in this category, it's this understand, or you feel like you need to run all your hard or all your days, all your running super hard. And that's the only way to get faster. And really what it comes down to is that actually isn't the way to get faster. You might get faster for a few months, I would argue, but it could really be coming from like the consistency of running and getting the aerobic or just a foundation of running kind of built versus actually taking every single run super hard to be able to, to race hard as well. So I'm a big believer in slowing down easy days, easy, hard days, hard. What does that look like? Every runner is going to be different, right? We can look at heart rate. We can look at pace. We can look at, um, you know, a tempo effort to try and figure out what the best way or the best, um, or the best pacing would be for that athlete. Yeah. I deal with this one too. And it's tricky to communicate, I think, to athletes this topic because people think that in order to improve you have to run hard and it's true you do but it's kind of it's it's nuanced right and it really depends on where you are in your running journey right like like new athletes for example brand new athlete never run before I would say probably the best way for them to develop base level of fitness is to actually do no hard running. Like just, it, and it's almost hard to coach this because people are so eager to get out there, but you know, if someone's totally willing to do whatever you want, it's like, yeah, just go run like a mile every single day, just nice and easy. And then when that <laughs> becomes easy, go do two miles every single day. And then when that becomes easy, do three. And just the consistency of going out there day after day after day and doing easy runs is going to build you a really, really good fitness up and up to like a very high level, right? Like you're, you're eventually going to plateau off of that, like purely just easy, slow jogging, but it's going to take a while. And I think most people uh, yeah, I would say most people probably even haven't even gotten to that level yet. We're just like jogging more is going to make them fitter. Absolutely. I mean, consistency is the key to anything, right? So if you can take, even if you're running three or four days a week and just do a slow run or an easy run or a jog or a run walk, even it's going to have so many great benefits to you as an athlete versus going out and running every single time you lace up your running shoes, you're running really, really hard. Usually what happens on the, what happens on those days. And I have fallen in this category is you start to have niggles. You start to get injured. Your body is overstressed. Um, it doesn't feel good. You feel like you have to hit a certain pace every single day. And that can lead to a lot of pressure and it might lead to you not wanting to go out and get your run in. Um, I love easy running it's the best part of training. Um, when I am in training, knowing I can lace up my shoes and go out the door and there is no expectation other than just don't run too fast. I am actually in kind of a weird stage of my running career right now. I go through phases where I'm very serious about my training and going really hard. And then other phases where I'm not. And 
I hope I'm not on the backside of my running career, but I just had a baby and I don't have as much personal interest in running the type of mileage that I used to run anymore. So I'm actually going about this in a slightly different way than I coach most of my athletes when Mm -hmm. it comes to my own training now. So here's the kind of the counterpoint to the keep easy days easy thing. So I don't think this is what most runners should do, but I used to run upwards of 70 to 80 miles per week. I don't want to do that anymore, at least not right now. I don't, I'm just not interested in it. The long, slow, easy runs aren't as interesting to me. I actually don't even really want to do long runs. I used to love the long run. That's my favorite run. I, I, right now I just don't want to do it. So a long run for me is like 80, 90 minutes. Um, a lot of my easy days now are like 20 minutes to an hour even is kind of long. Whereas that used to be the, the, um, like average easy run for me. So what I'm actually doing now and not saying anyone should do this, but if you feel like maybe you're on the backside of your career and you're not going to be running as much as you used to, what I'm trying to do is actually more frequent workouts, like more harder running, but keep them shorter and, um, and, and like run faster, but that's so like, I'm trying to do most of my easy runs faster, most like workouts more frequently, but keep them shorter. But it's all with this concept that like, I'm actually not running as much as I used to. So I'm trying to make up for the fact that I'm not running as much anymore with doing it at a higher intensity and like just trying to have fun with it. So I think we'll see if that yields results or not. I've been kind of plateaued in my own running for a while and I think I've reached near my potential. So because of a lot of different reasons, I'm taking a change of pace, but I think that for most people, and especially those people who are coaching, who are running their first marathon or trying to be Q, um, or building up their mileage for the first time. Don't be like me. Don't think that you can get improved by running less and running faster. What generally you should be doing is you want to run more, find out how you can run more and at a lower intensity. And that's a better way to see results. Absolutely. I'm really glad you said that because I was thinking that as you were talking, like if someone's training for a marathon or, you know, a half marathon and they have a heavy half marathon plan in place, like you get to take a lot of your runs really, really easy, get the recovery benefits, get the aerobic engine or that I like to call it the Porsche engine in your body built. So you can hit your hard days really hard and effective. So you can start a race and toe the line, feeling strong, capable, confident, and fast. If you're going out and marathon training and you're running six days a week, and let's say four or five of those runs, you're in that like in that gray zone, as we call it. And I know we're going to talk about that here um, at some point today. Like that isn't always better with my athletes. I love talking about the pendulum swing. Most of my athletes right now, I mean, I have a healthy number of them training for marathons and half marathons. I like to see the pendulum swing for them. I really, really love to see a really nice, easy, easy pace and have that pendulum swing in the pace category of racing really fast and strong and seeing that for themselves. Typically when athletes can go through a full training cycle, they see the results in the first race, they 
they're then bought into it. But it's usually the first training cycle where I really have to coach a lot around it because it's hard to understand, like, how can I run easy, but then race fast? I don't get how that works. And it doesn't feel like that's how it should work. Um, but it does work. And I know a lot of times we can get caught up in what Strava shows and what our friends are doing. And my advice to that is, you know, let people think, quote unquote, that you're a slow runner, which I don't like using that word. It's like you're just running your runs really easy and then blow them away by your race performance and have a really strong race, um, race performance, because that always feels really good. Now, Chris, can I ask how old are you? 34. Okay. 34. So I took a time in my thirties. I took years off of like endurance running or doing any, like I loved the long run too. And for, I would say about five years, I wasn't really doing the long run. I was doing more high intensity work. So I was actually doing orange theory, which is kind of similar. You're on a treadmill, you're doing some really short, fast interval work. And I also thought like, I might be, this might be done. I, you know, might just be focusing on the short stuff or being, you know, I love these classes. I might just do this for the rest of my life. Well then cut to like five years ago. Now I'm turning, um, a new decade this fall, I'm going to be a master's runner. (laughs) So, um, about five years ago, I decided to get back into the endurance running and I have run, well, one, I ran my first marathon. I'd be cute in my first marathon. I'm continuously PRing in every single distance. And just because you're maybe not feeling it right now at 34, it's a season of life. You just had a new baby. Maybe in five or 10 years, you'll be hungry for it again. And you might find yourself even faster, stronger, all the things. I hope so. I hope so. I don't know when I'll do my next marathon, but I'm really enjoying like 5k right now. Um, I'm going to be doing cross country this fall, which I'm really excited about. I coach a high school team and get so jealous by watching their races, but I never ran in high school or college myself, picked it up as an adult. So I'm excited to go through a season with them as well. This, um, this easy days, easy concept and hard days, hard concept is, one we could talk about all day. I think it is one of the pillars of modern day endurance coaching theory. The, the, to boil it down, I would say in order to run your hard days hard enough and see those big breakthroughs, you need to make sure the days in between are easy enough to rest you between the hard days. That's generally how I explain it. Um, Absolutely. The easy runs are important. They're going to get you a base level of fitness. Eventually you'll get to a place where you plateau and the harder runs help you break through that plateau. The easy days almost become filler between the harder days, but, um, the total volume of work generally doing more is going to be better than doing less harder. And once you're 34, like me and running, like, I don't know, I'm probably going to get injured in like a month or two doing this, but we'll see. I'm trying to be smart about it. Listen to Sarah, <gasps> not to me. <laughs> Hopefully you're not injured, but I, I know that studies have shown, like, if you are doing that short, intense work, like maybe 
keeping it to six to eight weeks max, giving yourself some really nice recovery. So for you, it could be cross country, right? Like, mm-hmm. I think that's a great way to kind of mix in some fun and some less intense. It'll still be fast, but in a different way. Mm-hmm. We should probably move on to the next one. Cause we could talk about this one all Let's day. Let's do it. The next topic you wrote was about consistency. You wrote consistency will yield results. And I'm actually sharing a book with my cross country team this summer by an author and running coach named Jay Johnson. His book is called Consistency is Key. And it's a book written for high school runners. It's 15 ways to unlock your potential as a high school runner. And he chose Consistency is Key as the title of that book. Yeah. I think this is the most important thing to becoming a better runner. I, we can get into what consistency means, but I think consistency over time without extended breaks, and we can talk about breaks when they, when they are important. Yes. will yield results. What do you think? I totally. I totally agree with this. Um, it's my number one role or yeah, it's just my number one role with athletes. Like you get to show up, you get to be consistent, work hard, and we get to have fun. Those are my roles as a coach. Um, and consistency is huge. It's going to definitely make you a stronger, faster runner in the long term. but everyone's going to be different, right? Some athletes are going to see the consistency pay off earlier or sooner than other athletes for sure. Um, but just if you stick with it and continue to do the work and be dedicated, it will pay off. And I think there's also something really special and such a big confidence booster for an athlete to, to see, oh, wow, I have been really consistent for the last three months or four months or I haven't let my coach down. I haven't, you know, skipped runs because I just didn't want to go out there. Like, I think consistency has so much value in so many different ways um, that I totally align with this and and really feel like it is the foundation and the base Um, before you even start running, you get to commit to be consistent. What does consistency look like for you when it comes to coaching your athletes? Because I think sometimes when people hear the word consistency, they think that that means they can't and shouldn't take any breaks, which I, I'm actually a huge proponent of breaks. I often need to to like force people not to run. But on the flip side, you have people who will maybe train really hard for something like a marathon, get in good shape, and then not run again for like two or three months after that. How do you find the balance between those things? And how does taking rest and maybe planned time off of running fit into a smart yearly training schedule? Yeah. I mean, for me, it's all about communication with each athlete and each athlete is going to be different. So when I first onboard an athlete, I meet them where they're at. If they're only running two or three days a week, great. That's where we're going to start. And you get to be consistent with three days a week of running. And then we'll slowly build that up to four or five, kind of depending, maybe six, depending on what their goal is, what race they're running, all those things. Um, So that's a huge piece to it. Meeting the athlete where they're at, making sure that when we 
are committing to something that they're set up for success. I would never want to give an athlete six days of running if they're only running two or three right now. I think that's the easiest way to overwhelm them and to make them just not do it and feel terrible about that. And who wants, I mean, I don't think any coach wants that for their athletes. So, um, so getting out there and doing what you can now and progressively getting stronger throughout that cycle of adding more runs based on their goal. Right. Um, you know, I have had athletes, you know, get in incredible shape for a marathon and then see the next few months and they were very consistent in the marathon training cycle. And then in their down few months, be very inconsistent. And I think that's really challenging personally as a coach to see. Um, I will always give one to two weeks of like very heavy recovery after a marathon, but talking to each athlete too, about how they're feeling. We look at their heart rate that first week or second week back, even in more detail, we take a look at, you know, if they have any niggles, how their sleep is, their recovery, all of those things kind of play a factor into it. And, you know, if they're feeling really good, we might pick it back up. I've had athletes take two or three months of very inconsistent running after, and it's tough because I feel like at that point, now that's a long pattern of inconsistent running and to get back into a marathon training cycle. I really want to see that consistency again. Um, so it can be tough as a coach to see that. And I try and coach through it in the best way that I can of meeting the athlete where they're at, maybe pulling the runs back to four days a week, something like that. That's a little bit less intense than what they were doing in the training cycle. What do you think, Chris? One thing that I always assign to my athletes and I try to, in my book, I actually write about what I call the six different phases of marathon training. And the very mm -hmm. last phase is a planned break off of running. I think yeah. that that's really important. And say you have a marathon training schedule, say it's 20 weeks, typically you download one offline. Week one is running, week 20, that's when your marathon is. It never tells you take a break at the end. Yeah. But I try to think of that break as part of your training. So kind of as rule of thumb, after a marathon, so, so hmm. Let's say you're, you let's say that you're the type of athlete who does like a spring marathon and a fall marathon, right? You make, you have two important races per year yeah. and you peak for that after the end of that season, I like to give them a time off. So two, two weeks is what I give as a rule of thumb. And I say, please don't run for two weeks. No running at all. Some people are really happy to do that. Other people aren't. And I've, I used to just be like, yeah, please don't run for two weeks. No running. Now I'm a little more, give a little more wiggle room with that. Cause some people like after two weeks, they just kind of get a little stir crazy and mm -hmm. I'll be like, okay, if you want to run a little bit, sure. But don't think about it as training, you know, maybe don't wear a watch. Don't talk to me about how the running's going. I don't want to hear about it. It's not training. Like just do other things other than running because you spend so much time when you're training, focusing on training and focusing on running yeah. mentally and physically. I just think that at the end of that, it's so helpful to get a mental reset and a break as well as a physical one. And yeah. two weeks is a long time. 
you know, I think people do lose a little bit of fitness by not running for two weeks. It's not humongous, but I, I, I used to think you only lost a little bit of fitness. Now I think you would probably lose a bit more than I used to think in two weeks of not running, but I think it's worth it because when you come back and start to train again, hopefully you were so bored by not running that you get excited to run again and eager to get out there and train hard and you'll be able to build up to a bigger place than you did in the season before because like the fitness that you built in the previous season, you'll lose a teeny bit of it in your time off, but it's mostly still going to be there with you. And then you'll be able to build up to a higher spot. And because you've taken that time off, you've given an opportunity to like fully heal. Sometimes after marathons, we might have injuries under the surface that like, we don't even really notice. So just like forcing yourself to take time off, it's helpful. A hundred percent. So after my first marathon, I took two full weeks off. I ran a half marathon five weeks after completing, I ran CIM and I ran a six minute half marathon PR, like huge. And I took two full weeks off of running right after the marathon. I needed to physically and mentally. It was my first marathon and it was way more intense, the training than I thought it was going to be. And I think a lot of first time marathoners kind of understand that as they get into it or, um, other marathon or other athletes who have run more marathons than just one, they totally get it. It takes a lot of time and energy. Now, after I ran Boston last year, I was, I PR'd by like a minute, but I was really still disappointed with my fitness and like the time. And I knew I was in shape for more. So I immediately signed up for another marathon four months later. And you know, I didn't take the time to rest. And then what happened was I was showing up flat in workouts. So to your point, Chris, it's like taking time after the marathon is super crucial. Maybe a full two weeks is a little aggressive or a little much for some athletes. Maybe it's perfect for other athletes. And everyone gets to take one step back to take three steps forward in their training versus trying to keep moving the needle forward. And then really hitting a strong wall like I did going into the Mesa Marathon in February. Thanks for sharing your experience there. I think it it's helpful to hear how this can actually work. Um, yeah. I think the athletes who never take breaks and just go from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next, are selling their potential short in a number of ways. And that you, the story you just explained definitely highlights one of them for sure. There's this concept of your running age, which is separate from your physical age. It's basically how many years have you been running consistently? Mm-hmm. And I like to say, you know, it might take a decade of consistent running to reach your potential. Everyone's going to be a little different. You know, it may depend on which, what age you pick it up and how you're training and all that sort of stuff. But consistency over time and doing a little bit more over time, you could see five years of improvement, 10 years of improvement before like, you feel like you've really reached your potential. It's, it's why you, it's why. So I've been watching the world championships track and field yeah. all week long. Most of those athletes 
in the distance events are mid twenties, late twenties, some are even in their thirties. All of those athletes, I would say for the most part, or maybe actually all of them probably started running when they were 16, 15, 18, something like that. Absolutely. But it took them 10 years of consistent training to get to the level they're at. So just know that like your progress isn't going to be linear. There's going to be plateaus. There's going to be dips and taking time off can actually be a key part of being consistent over time. It can prolong your running career. So, yeah. And something um, that I share with my athletes too, if they're having a tough time dealing or accepting the rest is, oh, you get to lean into other things that fill your cup. So if that's hiking, yoga, biking, spending more time with friends and family, cooking, doing something different too, is a really nice way to reset. Let's move on to the next topic that you had written, Sarah. So you had written and I hear this one a lot too, is I'm not a real runner unless I hear this all the time. People come to me and be like, oh, I don't know if I'm like, I'm interested in being coached, but I don't know if I'm really ready for that yet. Or like, mm-hmm. yeah, I've, I've done five K's or half marathon or marathon, but I'm not really a runner. Like they it's, it's comparison. They're comparing themselves to something that they see and they feel like they're not. So therefore they're not a runner. And when I hear things like this, it's actually, it's kind of funny. Cause it's like, well, if you knew the, the diversity of people that I work with and I'm so like proud of and see their success, you, you'd think that, yeah, you're a runner. Like I mean, I have comparison is such a, it's, it can be motivating, right? It gives you something to chase after, but there's always going to be that comparison. I mean, there's, there's always people who are going to look up to you and be like, oh, I wish I was as athletic as you were. And there's always going to be people you look up to and you're like, I, I, what's the point? I'm never going to be as good as them. Yeah. <laughs> so when people say this to you or you hear this, what are your thoughts on it, Sarah? I'm not a real runner unless dot, dot, dot. Oh gosh. I just cringe when I hear this because I'm like, yes, you are a real runner. I hear, and it doesn't matter what you're doing. If you're getting out the door once a week, if you are running 12, 13 minute miles, if you're running five Ks, like a lot of times I hear you know, I'm not a real runner unless, you know, I run a marathon or I Boston qualify, or I run an ultra, or I run a sub three or break 90 minutes and a half or whatever that is. Um, it's like, no, we are all runners. We're all just a little bit different, which makes us unique and also makes it a lot of fun. And everyone deserves and can be coached. It all comes down to, if you're willing to be consistent and work hard and have fun, then you can totally be coached. And it's a lot of fun to be able to see those gains and to see the strength and the power. But, um, I always cringe because I hear this a lot too. And 
Um, and I totally get that we can have imposter syndrome or compare ourselves to someone who is faster. Um, but know that you are enough. Know that you are a runner. If you own a pair of running shoes and even if you go out once a month, you are still a runner. I think self-identifying with terms like this can actually be a really powerful thing. So mm -hmm. one of the aspects of my own run training that I've been very inconsistent with over time is strength training. I know it's important. I have weights. I have routines I do. I coach routines, but I'm just not <laughs> consistent with it. I would never call myself a, like a weightlifter, right? Like I'm, yeah. I'm not, I don't want to be a weightlifter. I'm not one. Um, I do that because it supplements my running, but I want to be a runner. I identify with that. It's important to me to have that be a part of my identity. It's like who I am in many ways. And I identify with other runners, but I think what, what, what makes me a runner? Like, why am I a runner? I think it's just because I tell myself that and I go run mm -hmm. like there's yeah. no test. I didn't need to run a 5k and, you know, under 20 minutes or Boston qualify or whatever. Like, right. It's not a membership card you like pay for, or, you know, get accepted into. It's just, I want to be a runner, right? Like I'm a runner. I'm yeah. a coach. I I'm a business owner. I'm a dad. I want to do all these things. Um, I don't want to be a weightlifter and that's fine. <laughs> right? <laughs> I don't care if I'm a weightlifter, but if you want to yeah. be a runner, yeah, just tell yourself you're a runner, go do it. And one of the distinctions though, that I make in my coaching, and this is kind of a core component of, I guess, my coaching brand is I like to take people who just feel like they're going out there and running and like, that's kind of it, right? Like they know you go, like, if you want to be a runner, you go run. Right. But I like to take that person and turn them into an athlete. And the way yes. that I say, like the way I define an athlete is it's, this was kind of my story. Um, I ran a little bit and saw a little bit of progress, but when I decided I wanted to run the Boston marathon, I realized that's a hard thing to do. And like, if I was going to put the effort into it, I wanted to go about the right way. I never played on sports teams. I never was on a running team. I didn't know. No one taught me how to run and how to train like, like an athlete. Right. Yeah. So I hired a coach. She taught me, helped me qualify for the Boston marathon. And that was really one of the inspiration, the biggest inspiration of why I got into coaching in the first place is because I wanted to share that ex transformational experience of like going from someone who just runs to, to becoming someone who, yes, you run, but like you run the right way, right? You run in a maybe a more polarized fashion. Like we were talking about, you were implementing intentional hard days, intentional easy days. You're doing the strength, the flexibility, you know, eating right. Like all the, all these things that go into it that make you an athlete and not just like what I, you know, I just say like a casual runner, right? So yeah. how do you become an athlete? I think it's you, again, you, you, you make that decision. You say, I am, I want to do this the right way. I want to start doing the things that an athlete does other than just run to become their best. And you start to implement those into your training as well. And I think for people who want to level up in that way with their running, like 
getting involved with the community, uh, joining a team, working with a coach, like that's a very obvious way of how you get in, get to that next level. Um, but if you run and you think you're a runner and you want to be a runner, yeah, I agree. You're a runner. Yeah. Chris, I love that story. So we kind of have this, we have basically the same story. So I didn't really participate in sports or run in high school or college. I did track and field for a few years in high school. Um, and I actually did the 100, 200 sprints, which is just kind of funny because now I'm a long distance runner, but, um, so I did that, but I also got to a point in my training where I was like casually going out. I was running some, you know, races, but I wasn't being super intentional about what I was doing. I was taking a lot of classes. I was doing a lot of cycling. I was doing a lot of orange theory or hit workouts. I was running a little bit, sprinkling everything together. And it got to a point where I decided to run my first marathon. I decided the exact same thing. If I'm going to do this, I'm going to be Q and I'm going to hire a coach and do this the right way. And she inspired me to be a coach. And now we get to work together again for this next marathon. I'm running the Chicago marathon this fall. And it's just so cool to be able to, um, to be able to, you know, help people see their potential when they may not think that they're a runner or they may not think they're an athlete, but I also have the same mindset around the athlete kind of, yeah, mindset. Like we get to take a runner and turn them into an athlete. Running is first and foremost. And then we do have strength training. We have core work, we have nutrition, we have hydration. We have all these other branches that when you put them all together, I call it the 1% rule, like all these 1% things, the runner then becomes an athlete and they're very powerful and very strong. And that's really exciting. I want to talk about one other topic. And I think we had a longer list, but we're running out of time. So (laughs) I, I put together a list of a few different ideas that all have to do with sort of training theory. And there's polarized training is like very popular right now. It's like, make your hard days really hard. Your easy days really easy. There's like this, people talk about this gray zone where like the in-between running, you shouldn't do it. Um, um, people, most people, uh, everyone I coach pretty much, uh, I'm sure most people you coach, like everyone's using a GPS watch these days. They're all trying to run to pace. Often these paces are like calculated off of pace calculators. They're not super scientific. Um, but this kind of like how is popular to coach and train right now. Right. It's like you have easy run pace you have, and it's like in a set range or by feel it's like you have your tempo run and that's like a set pace and you have your, maybe like your running economy paces and which are like mile pace and, um, VO two max, which is maybe like 5k pace. And it's like, these are like clear zones we try to hit in workouts. Yeah. I used to stick to these really closely, but as I've kind of evolved in my coaching, I, 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 I kind of blend it all together a lot more than I used to. Mm. Um, I think that gray zone running as we speak about it it can actually be really effective or fun in different ways um for example when i was trying to qualify for the boston marathon 
I was doing a lot of marathon paced running. And uh, for those who know about coaching theory, marathon paced running is also often kind of considered gray zone running. Um, it's like fast, but it's like not really fast enough to necessarily stimulate some physiological changes you could get by going a little bit faster. <laughs> so should you do it or not? Or like, should you run faster or just slower? Is I don't know. Coaches get into this stuff. Now that I am not trying to run like a specific marathon time anymore, I don't do marathon pace long runs anymore personally, because I just find that the stress of like doing that kind of run is not worth it for me. And I would rather just, if I'm going to do a long run, I either like just go easy or I just go what feels like objectively challenging and hard on the day. Um, I don't really pay attention to the pace and, um, what I've also found is like on easy days, you know, this, like some days, easy days are slog because you're super tired and you can like <laughs> barely even finish the run. Other days, your easy runs, you feel good. Cause like you haven't done a workout in a while and like, you can kind of push the pace a little bit and you go mm. into that gray zone where it's like kind of near marathon pace. And it's like, not, I don't know. People, there's this debate where it's like, do you want to stick rigidly to the pace is that like hit these yeah. zones specifically, or is it, or is it more gray? Um, what are your, what are your thoughts on that? And how do you, how do you approach it? Yeah. I mean, I feel like it depends. Like every athlete is so different. And I think the polarized training, easy days, easy, hard days, hard are probably going to work for the majority of athletes, right? We've seen the results, I have an athlete who will run 940 is kind of his sweet spot with easy runs. And he crushed a 315 marathon, which is like a 715 pace. Like he absolutely crushed it. He is breaking all distance PRs right now and creating new PRs and all the distances. And that's really exciting to see. So it does work, but I think there are some athletes like I have another, I have a female athlete who is kind of pushing the pace and she is kind of in this like more mod intense sort of easy-ish days, right? And then she's still able to hit her hard days hard and it's working for her. And if it can work for her and she can stay healthy, I feel okay with that. I think, Chris, you're an experienced runner and you've been running for a really long time and getting to BQ and having that specific goal and hiring a coach, your coach probably looked at all the things that you were doing before leading up to it and saying, okay, maybe we have to mix it up a little bit because maybe you've plateaued and that's okay. I think taking a new runner and giving them mod intense and like still some harder days probably isn't the right formula, but, um, but it can find its place with certain athletes, but most of the elevated athletes are definitely on polarized training. And they hear me say, I, run slower, <laughs> take your easy days easy. And I say like, if I had a dollar for every time I said that, I would have like another house in Boulder. Like this would be amazing. Um, so I say it a lot. I say it often. It is effective. Um, but I think, you know, sometimes gray zone or, you know, a mod intense sort of training style can work for certain athletes and it works for you because you did get the BQ, right? Yeah. And yeah. I think that this is, one of the things that I love about coaching is when you first get into it, you typically read some of these like cornerstone 
books about running theory. Um, some of my early inspirations were like the Daniels running formula, Hanson's marathon method, uh, Arthur Whittier's writing. Those mm-hmm. three books, and there are others, but those for me were like the introduction to run training theory. But as my experience level has as I've gained more experience over the years and worked with more athletes and seen what's worked and what's not and seen what's been enjoyable for athletes and what's not it's I've tweaked what I've evolved what I uh, what I've learned right and like my coaching now is like unique and I think you see this with all coaches it's like we have our inspirations those we learn from but we make it our way and this doing more gray zone running is I think something in in running by feel, because I think often when we run by feel Mm -hmm. and not to the watch, um, we stray from like those, uh, set paces a bit. And that's something that I think as time goes on, I'm going to evolve more into my coaching and kind of make it my own unique blend. And, um, whereas like, you know, first, uh, six months of being a coach, it was just like, I was the disciple of Jack Daniels and it was like, (laughs) how does Jack Daniels give training? And it's like, I do it this way every time, but now, now I kind of make it up. Um, yeah. yeah. Per the athlete, right? Like every athlete is just so different and it's fun to have like your own twist on, on your training plans. Like I had three athletes BQ in the same race. Um, it was the Colorado marathon And, you know, I call it like the BQ formula. There was definitely some certain things in there that I did, you know, using a very like 80, 20 polarized approach for sure, but then having my own spin on it. And it created a three out of three BQ opportunity. It was a great day to race, but all three runners were amazing. And I feel like, you know, there's so many run coaches out there, right? So like having our own blend of how we do coaching and how we write the plans and how much recovery we give and all the things make us unique and different. And that's a really good thing. So I know we're over time here. Do you have to run? No, I have one more that I would love to touch on before we wrap oh, yeah, up. Just sure. got a few more yeah. minutes. Yeah, 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 for sure. So this one is a pet peeve of mine and I'm trying to not let it be, but it's kind of one of those things that like, like, I feel like I've fought this fight so many times and like would die on the cross defending. I love to hear your thoughts on it. Um, I think that most most marathoners overemphasize the importance of the long run and de-emphasize the importance of consistent good runs throughout the week so most um i guess i should clarify what most means um almost everyone who i coach for the marathon wants to do 18 and 20 milers sometimes even more in the preparation of doing a marathon regardless of their ability Mm -hmm. i really, I don't know if you've read the Hanson's marathon method. They've kind of, it's an oversimplification to say they pop, but they popularize like the 16 mile long run. They actually say, if you're running higher mileage, like 
50, 60, 70 a week, like you should do more. They basically just say like, keep your long runs proportional to your total weekly mileage. So um, I really like that for a number of reasons. Um, I think it helps keep athletes safe and uninjured. It prevents them from burning out before they get to the race and it improves their athletic ability more than if you just take a runner who is maybe doing like 30 miles a week at their peak and you give them a 20 mile long run an 18 mile long run. I, I would rather have those people do like a bunch of 12s, a bunch of 10s, maybe a 16, a 14, but I always get the pushback. No, I won't say always. I often get the pushback. Um, can I do longer long runs? I want to do a 20. I only feel confident if I do a 20. Um, but I've had so many athletes who just kind of trust my process, um, like run great races, PR, qualify for Boston, having never run more than a 16 or an 18 mile long run. Um, and I've had many of these athletes who want to do like the 18 and 20 milers when I don't really feel like they're ready for them. Mm-hmm. I don't think them doing that run in training lets them run a better marathon. Mm-hmm. Um, here's the thing. I don't think it really matters whether you do a 16 or an 18 or a 20. I don't think it really, really matters all that much in the grand scheme of things, but in the minds of the athletes, it does. Mm-hmm. Um, so me as a coach, I'm trying to develop the best plan for them and it's tough. Um, Cause I'm like, I just want you to do shorter ones. I think you'll be a better athlete if you do shorter ones until you're ready for the longer long runs. Um, and I don't think the length of your run is going to matter that much in terms of how you actually perform in, in your, in your marathon. I think what's going to matter the most is not the length of your long run, but how many miles per week you run. So someone in general, in general, Someone who runs 30 miles per week is going to do better than someone who runs 20. Someone who runs 40 is going to do better than runs 30. 50 is better than 40. 60 is better than 50. I think I've said enough, but do you deal with that? (laughs) And like, is this a sticking point for you? Or do you just give everyone 20 milers and call it a day? Uh, What what are your thoughts on this? I mean, Oh, it depends. Every athlete's so different, but I am a big believer in giving the athlete as many miles as they want. Like if someone is asking me for a 50 mile, 60 mile week, if the fitness is showing that they're there and they're ready for it, let's do this. Let's go after it. I love the more is more approach. Um, I, I love it for my own training. Um, I feel like there are so many benefits to it, but then on the flip side, also making sure that the athletes are covering really, really well after the marathon, if they have been hitting higher mileage, but I have a few athletes running their first marathon this fall. And that's always one of the first questions. And I think society makes it into this big thing of like the 20 miler. (laughs) It's like the long run. It's how I think runners associate themselves as a real marathon trainer, right? Like I'm training for a marathon. It's not real unless I see 20 on the Garmin and, you know, I'll definitely look at the time on feet 
to see how that's going to translate. Um, if I feel like, well, most of my athletes get 20. Some of them get 21 or 22, depending on how fast they are. You know, I have sub three marathoners. So if you're doing quality work in a long run, you can get probably 22 in and feeling pretty good um, in under three hours. And there's going to be other athletes where it's going to be like maybe 18 is their peak and it's still kind of going over three hours. Or if they're really, really Jones and for a 20, like it's really going to be based on the week and how they're doing, how they're feeling, having a conversation with them about it. Because I am a big believer in like the mental side of training. And if for whatever reason, if seeing 20 on their garment is going to make them feel stronger at the start of the Chicago marathon or the Philly marathon, like, all right, like let's do this. And also permission to stop running. If it just feels awful or if it doesn't feel good, like don't push into this like weird zone for the last like four miles. If it just feels painful or tough or, well, I shouldn't say tough because it should feel tough to some extent, but um, having that balance, I think is really key. One way that I've changed in this regard is I'll pretty much give, I don't want to give everyone a 20. I don't think that most people should do a 20 unless they're running the higher mileages where they're ready for it. Yeah. Right. But if someone's like a lower mileage runner, like they're doing a marathon off of only like 30 miles per week or potentially less, even 40 or less, like I'll give them at least an 18 because at first I was like, oh, we'll just, we'll just do like a 16, but nobody liked that. Nobody thought, no one thought no. 16 was enough, but I give 18 and it's like, okay, that's a compromise. But what I think is so funny about this is it's like, if you zoom out and look at it, you have to run 26 miles on race day. Yeah. Nobody's running 26 miles on race day. Correct. So whether you go to 16 and need to do 10 more or 18 and needs to do eight more or 26 more, right? 22, four more. Yeah. You're still not doing the whole thing. So the whole way that marathon training works is like you build up this resiliency to handle the mileage. You get in good shape. You get really tired from it all. Then you taper. And once you taper, hopefully if it all worked, you feel good enough to run the full distance. But whether you've only done like, let's say 20 or 16 in training, you're still not doing the whole distance, but the confidence thing is key. Like when you get to the starting line, if you, you need to know that you can accomplish the mission of the day. Like if you have any doubt or if you're hoping to accomplish it, I don't like that. I just like, you want to be, you want to go there and be like, okay, I can do this. I'm ready. I'm going to do this. That's the mindset you want to have. So if you need to run 18 or 20, to do that, even if I don't think it's like the best physical training for you, I've started to make that compromise with my athletes. Yeah. Um, so trying to be a little less offended when people ask me for longer, longer runs. But, um, <laughs> well, something that's worked for me, Chris, I I'm implementing this with one of my athletes who's running Chicago is we're going to do like a 75 minute long run on Friday night, or I should say run 75 minute run on Friday night. Saturday morning, she's going in and running like a 16. So it's going to combine together to be a little bit over 20 for her. Um, and that's a really good way. If you like pad the long run with like a mod long run or a mod like run. So it's a little bit over 60 minutes. Like 
it's a great way for the athlete to feel like, well, in 12 hours, I, I was able to run 26 miles or something like that. Um, I've seen that work well with some of the athletes who might have a harder time getting to 20. That reminds me of a popular ultramarathon training approach too, where <laughs> say you're training, yeah. say you're training for a 50 mile race. You're not going to do like a 40 mile training run, but you might do mm -hmm. 20 on Saturday, 15 on Sunday, and then that's 35 miles, which is a lot, right? Yeah. Um, I, we both live in America. What I've heard, I don't know if this is true, but so we use the mile system, right? Most places yeah. they use the metric system. Um, 20 miles that does that's not like a nice round number in kilometers if you're running in kilometers it's like you build up you do like so there's the 30k long run 30k is like 18 miles if you jump up to 35k which i'm pretty sure they're like this that's how they do it right they have like 5k 10k yeah 35k is 22 miles <laughs> so yeah. i don't think most people are doing a 35k long run i think i think overseas like most people they get up to like 30k which is only like 18 miles 18. which i think just shows us like how much we like round numbers and it's not necessarily like oh we got to get to 20 because 20 is close to 26 and but like it's nothing magical about that 20 mile distance right we've just made it that way yeah and 18 is just as good i would say if you can focus on as an athlete like your mental strength that's going to be a huge piece to the marathon, right? 90% of it's mental. Something I'm do doing um, as I build for Chicago, and some of my athletes have got on board with this, is every time you practice a mental strength strategy while in a training run or execute like a really hard workout or execute a long run is you string a paperclip together. And my mantra for Elevate is pink is for PR. So I'm showing Chris this right now. I have a pink paperclip chain. And training started last week for me. So I have, um, there's a few more to add on to it from this week, but the theory is, is you take this to your race. It's a visual reminder of all the hard work you put in all the track workouts, all the long tempos, all the long runs and knowing that you can do it. And, you know, I wanted to like wrap this around my neck and like use it as a necklace for Chicago, my mental strength coach suggested that I like meditate on it and then throw it away before the start of the race. Um, but you can do whatever you want to do. And hopefully that's kind of like a tangible way to see all the work that you put in. And so you can show up strong, capable and confident on race day. Thanks for sharing that. The, the confidence element of it is key. It doesn't matter yeah. how good of shape you're in. If you can't harness that fitness and with confidence, unlock it all on race day. I'm sure we, we both see this in our, in our athletes, but to reach your oh, full yeah. potential, yeah, you need the mix of the mental and the physical strength to do your best on race day. I would love to keep talking about this topic all day with you. We only made it like halfway <laughs> through our list, but it was so good to get together with you, Sarah, and talk about some of these running dogmas and when we abide by them and when we might deviate from them a little bit. I hope our audiences find this to be interesting conversation and kind of see how two different running coaches think and, you know, how we're like in some ways and different with others. And you can see how, yeah. you know, finding the right match between 
coach and athlete is so helpful to develop that team relationship and work together towards the goals you're trying to achieve. Before we sign off, Sarah, how can people learn more about you? And do you have anything you're working on that you're excited about that you want to share with the listeners? Oh my gosh. Yes. Chris, thank you so much. This was so fun. So um, maybe this is the universe telling us that we get to do another episode, maybe this fall or winter on part two of running dogmas. We can do this all over again. <laughs> so um, everyone can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Sarah, S-A-Y-R-A-H runs happy. My coaching business and coaching team is called Elevate Your Running. Um, I coach athletes all over the country in person, virtually all the great things. Um, I also have a podcast. It's called elevate your running. That's kind of the project at the moment. Um, and I will be starting some online group coaching, which I think is going to be a really exciting piece to the community aspect, which is what I really love about coaching athletes, the community, the connection, the fun, um, the friendships that are built. So if I can start, you know, I have an incredible community in Boulder and Denver. And if I can start and kind of build off of the Elevate online community, I want to do that as well. So uh, thank you everyone for listening. And Chris, thanks for having me on again. This was great. Today's episode is brought to you by the Night and Runs training group on Patreon. If you'd like to support the show and join my online community of runners working to become the best athletes that they can be, check out patreon.com slash night and runs there. You can join a private Facebook community to get support from me and the other athletes in the training group about how your training is going. Get your questions answered here on the night and runs podcast, download a whole bunch of training plans that I've put together for beginner, intermediate and advanced athletes, as well as join us for monthly community calls and Q and A's. One other small ask, if you enjoy the show, I'd love it if you could leave a quick and honest review on your listening platform of choice. That really helps a ton in recommending this show to other listeners like you who you think might benefit from it as well. And that's all for this week. So until next time, bye.